Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my good friend and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Christian, happy Disney 100, week two. Actually, happy the SAG after strike is over, Dave. Uh, honestly, here, here. Here, here. The SAG after strike is over. The news broke a mere two hours or so before this podcast is being recorded. And we are celebrating with hard <laughs> soda. <laughs> yes. Normally we drink beer on this podcast. <laughs> But we are drinking hard sodas. Christian's is pineapple flavored. Mine's tamarind flavored. It's tasty stuff here on I'm a, Cinema on Tap this week. I'm going to be real honest. As as a Hispanic. Yes. Tamarind's never been my thing. Okay. I have no idea the cultural cachet of tamarind <laughs> in Hispanic and Latino cultures. I just know that every little Hispanic boutique has tamarind flavored something. Okay. Not a fan. Duly noted. I I like the hard soda that I'm drinking that is tamarind flavored. So that's my exposure. Christian, do you have a a beer fun fact for us this week? Or was that just something you were trying out last week? Oh, I have a beer fun fact for you every single week. Well, I am ready. We'll we'll talk more about the strike ending, but (laughs) order of operations here. Gotta start... The way that we we should be starting. Gotcha. So what I wanted to say is normally the darker the beer, and by that I kind of mean the hazier the beer, which you're going to see when you cannot see through it, it means that it's higher ABV. That's just kind of rule of thumb. There are definitely exceptions to it, but the reason why it's darker is because you've put more stuff into it. And because you're throwing more stuff into the ingredients list for the beer you need to also increase the alcohol so that the alcohol does not get lost well there you go the more you know listeners don't say we didn't teach anything whether about disney movies or the alcohol that you can drink whilst you watch said disney movies that's also why i like higher alcoholic beer because normally it's trying to do more with its flavor i like it more flavorful is always well maybe not always better but I mean, it's, it's, it's no pineapple hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about flavor. Thanks, sugar. We appreciate you. I'm a big fan of sugar. Okay, wait, wait. You, we have it on the outline. By the way, I looked at this outline just twice. And thanks uh, for doing it. I appreciate you looking at the outline. <laughs> you, you you needed me to talk about two movies that I've seen that you have not seen yet. I forgot what they were. Yes. I know one is Saltburn. Yes. So just like last week, I wanted to start by just sharing some very brief reviews about new releases we've seen. We're in that time of year where a lot of really big movies are starting to release. We have big name filmmakers finally putting their films in theaters. Festivals are wrapping up and so obviously we saw the bike riders and maestro as part of afi fest and now we're getting to see some of these high profile movies but before we get into that just because this news literally broke today just give me another you know a couple of thoughts on the strike ending just how do you feel i know you're not an actor you are you had some more thoughts about the writers guild strike but i'm just curious how you're feeling knowing that the actors got their deal and hopefully hollywood can get back to work it Okay, um, there was, there was a bit, um, in 2019, when we first, or that, when I first heard of the Hollywood Week podcast, (laughs) and the reason I'm bringing them up is because they had said something there that I, for, 
had forgotten for a while, which is that James Dean's estate had said that they had given the rights to a filmmaker to be able to use James Dean's image and recreation of his voice as the main character in an upcoming movie. I remember that. Very weird story at the time that doesn't seem so crazy now. Now, it's completely, it's a bit of a different stakes because it is his estate doing so. We can argue about the morality of it, the ethics of it, of course, of his estate doing so. But this is something that uh, people have been trying to do without necessarily the agreement of the estate. And it is also something that on the merest, most basic level, you could do with an extra. Now, this is also not even talking about royalties that come into play, but the people in SAC who were on strike were not picketing necessarily in in defense of your multi-million dollar making A-listers. Like, Tom Cruise is safe. Leonardo DiCaprio is safe. Kate Winslet is safe. Charlize Theron and Viola Davis, they're pretty safe. Keep, keep going, Christian. Who else? Who else is safe? Denzel Washington is safe. safe. Denzel yes. Washington safe. Um... I was wondering if I should be mean and be like, that guy? No. That guy. <laughs> In danger. David Spade. I know you're out there. Not safe. Patrick Dempsey. In trouble. People sexiest, sexiest man, man alive. alive. He's, he's safe, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of important news that broke today. <laughs> Young man. Same day that we announced people sexiest man alive. I'm not saying Patrick Dempsey... Single-handedly, single-handedly ended, ended the strike. Ended the strike. I'm not saying he did it. <laughs> but I'm not saying I haven't seen Patrick Dempsey in the strike in the same room at the same time. So, um, What I wanted to say is I am, as someone who is, I, 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 I've, I've, I tease, but I never say what exactly it is that I do. It is more difficult, maybe. No, it is just difficult to enter this industry. It's not maybe more difficult than it should be. It's incredibly difficult to go into this industry. It is incredibly difficult to get connections. And also, especially if you're someone who is trying to do something above the line, so that's your directors, writers, actors. I'm not saying it's not difficult um, below the line. I'm just saying above the line, it is easy for someone to take advantage of you. And uh, the reason it's easy for someone to take advantage of you is because you think that a big name is safe, but you're also trying to protect everyone who is not a big name. And so what I am happy about here in this strike is that actors are holding out so that people who manage to get a foot in the door do not then have that foot cut off and sold. And uh, those are just some of my basic thoughts. I have many friends who are in SAG um, and they've been in SAG for 15 years or so, some of them who have just joined SAG, and uh, they're not your A-listers. Maybe they will be an A-lister one day. That would be wonderful. But also, if you are joining an industry the same way that the lowest level person in any industry should still have enough money to live, and a minor character, an actor in a commercial, should be able to make a decent amount of money to live. So those are my thoughts on the SAG after strike ending. Right. Much like the writer's strike, the actors were striking for a variety of reasons, AI chief among them, but 
also just striking to make acting a career path again. Right now, there are people who are working actors who also need second jobs or who need to live with roommates because they can't, you know, they can't pay the bills just on acting. There is even stories about, I think about Sydney Sweeney was someone who had kind of come out and, you know, she got, she's become very successful, very famous thanks to Euphoria and some of her movies over the last couple of years. But she was doing some interviews before the strike and she even said, times are tight. You might think that like, oh, I'm so famous now. I'm so successful now that I am just like set. But even for someone like her, because a lot of her success was on streaming services, for example, she wasn't exploding at least financially which she had she is famous and wealthy she's been fine this whole time but it's not just about the people like her like young actors on the come up it's about people who just want to be a background actor or a commercial actor or will be a character actor who plays bit parts their whole career we just want to make you know it's just important to make that a career path so people can focus on acting can focus on their craft and you can make $60,000 a year and be an actor full-time and not have to worry about delivering for a you know food service or something like that. And so, you can still try and fight, you know, to be your A-lister. Exactly. Exactly. So, along with some of the other things that I'm sure they'll announce soon in terms of the the good that was done with this deal that the actors oh, wait, wait. was able to get, I'm excited to see what they, what they came through with. I want to give just one other tease. I was talking with someone yesterday, and it was about a movie... That we have discussed, not really on this podcast, but that we have discussed. And uh, I've said, uh, knowing his proximity to the movie, I said, did you like it? And he said, no, I thought it was horrible. (laughs) I was like, okay, good, because I do too, but I'm scared to say that out (laughs) loud in this environment. (laughs) Uh, So, so, you know, people in the industry are are also scared of (laughs) talking crap about the movies that they've made and so um that's just that's just this is a fun thing hey speaking of people in this industry who've made some movies let's talk about some new releases that one of which we both got to see and two of which you were able to see solo so mm-hmm. christian the two movies that you've seen i definitely will be watching at some point in the near future i just haven't gotten to them yet but they are new one is a new release one's coming soon so Want to get your thoughts quickly. Let's start with Priscilla, which okay. is Sofia Coppola's latest film. If you're unfamiliar with it, it is adapting the autobiography of Priscilla Presley and talks about her relationship with Elvis, starting from when they met, when she was 14, to when they got married and through their marriage. We talked about Sofia Coppola on this podcast in the past. I know you and I both generally like her movies, consider ourselves fans of her work. So what did you think of her latest I, in general, am a fan of Sofia Coppola. Uh, we have almost opposite tastes, though, of the types of movies that she makes and what what it is that we enjoy. Priscilla is a fascinating portrait, and it's so interesting. And everyone's doing this comparison, comparing it to Elvis that came out last year. Now, um, there's there's a good chunk of Elvis in this movie, but it's not about Elvis. And so... It's almost weird because you need to remind yourself that the person who this character is married to is one of the biggest pop sensations of the entire history of the world. And it's fascinating, the choice. I'm I'm very pro on the movie. It's very quiet, but also Sofia Coppola has never been one to use a ton of dialogue. And she's always, she's like a master of using score and songs in her movies. She's one of my favorites whenever it is and she employs it. 
Um, one thing that she did in casting Kaylee Spani and Jacob Elordi as Priscilla and Elvis, respectively, Jacob Elordi is 6'5". Kaylee Spani is shorter. Yeah, I mean, she's probably... I mean, she's 5'5"? Five five? Five... She might be a full foot shorter. Yeah. Or, or honestly, maybe more. I would say shorter than that. I mean, she's yeah. probably 5'2", five 5'3". Five you watch this movie, and... It, Elvis puts his arm around Priscilla and they walk up the stairs. And it's funny. Because he is... Pu- it, it, and, and it, it looks like he's handling a doll. Um, Question. And, yes. <laughs> Don't mean to interrupt, but I googled Kaylee Spaney height. 4 foot 11 inches. She is 5 foot on a good day, it seems. So, so she... she's almost... Well, she's a foot and a half shorter yes. than Jacob Elordi. Yes. <laughs> Damn. No, and it, it's it's not an indictment of Elvis. It's much more so... It, it does crack the Elvis persona. And the way in which it does it is so subtle and very poignant. You're going to love the movie. Like it, it, it's that's one, exciting. <laughs> it, it, it's one of the places where I know their taste is going to um, converge. But Priscilla, Sofia Coppola, written and directed by her, Saltburn, Emerald Fennell, written direct. Jacob Elordi, our and, and speaking of Euphoria, a lot of people might know him from that. They might know him from the Kissing Booth, but he is entering a very new phase in his career where he is starting to appear in films with very big name filmmakers. He's not only appeared in Priscilla as Elvis Presley himself, now he's in Saltburn, Emerald Fennell's sophomore feature after Promising Young Woman, but he was in Deep Water, which yeah. did not hit like a lot of people hoped it would, but was still a prestigious project to be I attached to. I haven't even to. seen it. <laughs> have you seen uh, it? Yes. Yes, I have. Did you like it? No. No, I did not. Okay, cool. Unfortunately. But he's also, it's been announced that he's going to be in Paul Schrader's next movie, so... He's starting to work with some interesting filmmakers, mm-hmm. Christian, and I'm curious for your thoughts on Saltburn, because I've seen some more divergent reactions to that one. A lot of people love it, like they love Promising Young Woman. Some critics not afraid to come out and say it is not very good, or it's maybe, it's fun, but it's got nothing on the surface. It's effed up. The movie, the, the, this is one of the best reviews ever I read about it. This, this movie's for the sickos. This, this, this movie is for the sickos. It is sick. It is twisted. It's highly entertaining. It is Everyone is on the edge of their seat the entire time, not because there are high stakes necessarily, but because it's like disgusting and uh, it, it's the perverseness of humanity. And it's one of those where the script is not perfect. To me, the, the script of Promising Young Woman, I think, was, was so beautifully constructed. Even the Hollywood ending at the end. Uh... You... Ended up respecting the Hollywood ending. I liked the movie. I didn't like the ending. The <laughs> the the script is maybe underwritten it in some parts, but then I think about it and I go, but this script and this directing has managed to elicit more emotions from me than most movies have this year. Like I'm, I remember there was a specific part where I was like, oh, ew. <laughs> <laughs> is i love having that reaction to a movie uh normally i have it with like a david cronenberg movie or a goopy horror movie so curious to see how that comes into play during salt oh this is also don't take your kids to this movie don't (laughs) like don't do that it's rated r (laughs) drama situation it's not even that it's it's like 
there's um there's some nudity in just the weirdest way possible and and interesting it it's weird nudity. you're selling me on this movie christian <laughs> it it's it's you know what recommend go for it you're gonna have a good time or at how, least you're gonna have a time how was our guy jacob already and how was our our true guy barry Keoghan? barry Keoghan <laughs> is is fantastic jacob Elordi is very much taking the supporting role in this it it's I don't know. I, th- I think that Jacob Lordy is doing a pretty good well of doing like faux, but kind of true asshole. Barry Keoghan is. I mean, have you seen Euphoria? No. He is a raging a hole in that show. He is an extraordinarily bad dude, and I just <laughs> so I think he's comfortable. I, uh, you know, maybe he's exploring different ways of being bad in in the movies, of course. But I don't think he's afraid wait. of of being naughty on screen. Do you like Down to Mr. Ripley? Uh, so, I've heard that come up a lot in relation to Saltburn. I haven't actually seen it. It's one of those blind spots for, for me. For everyone who has not seen Down to Mr. Ripley, it is borrowing senses from it. This one's more perverse. That's the thing. This movie's perverted. This is, this is a perv movie. I'm in. Recommend it. I'm there. <laughs> and I'm still trying to juggle between, I think, what the faults of the script are, but also how well executed so many of it is um honestly emerald fennel i'm in like next movie down Alrighty, christian now to a movie that i've actually gotten to see so i'll, I'll give you a break from the talking mm-hmm. i'll do some talking up top but that movie is the killer which is david fincher's <laughs> new no, movie. that's not the reason why you're not letting me talk about the killer well i know we've had some diverging reactions not yes. entirely not not entirely different pages but I I was saying that because you just talked through those two movies, so I wanted a chance to talk. But The Killer, which is David Fincher's new movie, written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who collaborated with Fincher on Seven. Uh, I think maybe another couple of projects in the intervening years there, but it follows Michael Fassbender, who plays a hitman who, after botching a job in Paris, is forced to go on the run, and when he realizes that his safe house and a girlfriend, I believe have been attacked he sets out to track down the people who wronged him and get his revenge so Mm -hmm. very conventional setup a movie that we've all seen before in terms of its hitman seeking revenge on the people who hurt him or his girl we've all seen that type of movie before and i really enjoyed fincher's take on it it's uh, to me you know it's not it's not an action movie uh, there's there are a couple moments where it will feel like an action movie, but it is that's not what they're going for here. And to me, it felt like just classic Fincher, who's in love with the the process of somebody like this unnamed killer in the movie, who has routines that he follows, rules that he abides by, and strict systems that allow his life to to play out the way that he wants it to, and. I just really got on the wavelength with Fincher. I think too there's some there's some interesting ideas Michael about Michael Fassbender is genius in that. He's so good. And Fincher has some interesting ideas about the world we live in right now, some commentary on how we use things, use services like Amazon and how uh, we can perhaps how bad people are hiding right next to us. Um, I, the thing that I said to you and our friend Paul Yoder who saw the movie with us was you know, it's a dark... Fincher believes that we live in a dark world and there's evil people walking amongst us. And that's very much, 
what I took from the killer. I know, Christian, you had a bit of a you, you positive but reserved appreciation is what I would describe it as if I characterize that correctly. It's not at all with the directing. It's with the script. I think the script is very boring. I think the script is very boring and it's... I, I It falls into the mistake of needing every single character except for Michael Fassbender to have this huge dial like monologue explaining what it is that they did with their life. And uh, honestly, it... Look, the movie is entertaining-ish. It, it, it has so many strengths to it. It has so many qualities. It is beautifully directed. It's just not... It wasn't my thing, even though there are so many things to recommend about it. I very strongly disagree with it being boring. Only because I would say that a, a movie's pacing, obviously, is what we're talking about when we say something is boring. And to me, this movie is methodically paced, for sure, but I was never bored. Um... So it's, people it's will definitely have different reactions yes. to that pacing. I mean, it's something that I've told you about my boy Robert Weiss. My boy Robert Weiss has many movies that have so many boring sections to it. Because it also depends on the script. Look, this is a riff on Seven. Seven I love. This is not a riff on Seven. It's not a riff it's, on Seven. I mean, he it's, wrote it. Like, Andrew Kevin Walker like, wrote that movie. But... It's, it's similar. It's like the different stages of... Honestly, a killer just told from the other angle... Um, look, I mean, Seven is about a serial killer who's killing people inspired by the Seven Deadly Sins. This yes. is about a, a hitman on the run. Like, I understand. And guess that what? Very few long monologue thrilling, diatribes but... in Seven. Uh, I, I don't think you're. I, I wouldn't say it's the best way to characterize what is happening in. Oh, the movie, I'm sorry. This is a limited series, but in a movie. That's also a, a bad critique. But <laughs> it's seven chapters, literally divided into what the seven different episodes of the limited series could be. Movies have been sep- like cutting themselves into chapters. Yes, since the dawn of cinema. since the dawn of time, so... and this would have been beautiful as a limited series where you could I... have been methodical and in those different locations. And and you've said this in the last. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. You will almost always say over a limited series you want a movie yes i will and with the killer if it was a six and a half hour limited series i probably would have killed myself out of boredom so <laughs> like there is no way to extend and expand this in a way that would keep it entertaining to me plus like yes i i am a movie over tv person in almost every situation I would almost always rather a project be a movie because that is my preferred way of engaging I've given up on TV, but that's just because I don't have time. That's the killer, folks. It will be coming to Netflix at some point if you can. This week? Maybe. If you can catch it in a theater, though, strongly recommend you do so. Uh, It looked great. It sounded great. Very cool to be be able to see that in a theatrical experience. Mm -hmm. Now, Christian, finally... To today's subject, we're back on Disney, so we're gonna get the ball rolling here. We're gonna pour ourselves into the pour from this keg. Maybe we shouldn't call Disney a keg. I don't know. No, I think we should. I actually, I, 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 I think we should. Uh, Disney, if you're out there, I know that you're litigious. We, we love what you do, folks. We're going not to everything be, you do, not everything you do, but a lot of what you do. We're moving forward in time with the good people at Disney. Last week, we looked at the very beginning, the golden age of Disney, talking through Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and Pinocchio, and this week we'll be looking at the Silver Age of Disney, and mm-hmm. funnily enough, the first film in that unofficial era, Cinderella, and the final film, which is The Jungle Book. Christian, before we get there, I'm curious if you watched any other movies from the Golden Age, or anything from the the wartime years, as Disney pivoted away I from feature filmmaking. I skipped the wartime years. <laughs> I 100% skipped the wartime years, I said no. 
if there are there are movies in that era where you will look them up and you will realize that you've never heard of it before, despite it being a Walt Disney they're, production. They're package films. They're anthology movies, which yeah. are inexpensive to make, which they released because World War II had kind of diminished their ability to make feature-length animated movies and dedicate all their time to it. Right. And Disney got like also got enlisted to literally make propaganda films. And, like, for example, they made a, a short feature called Saludos Amigos, where yeah. Donald Duck learns about... Latin America and South America, and meets a Brazilian parrot named Jose Capioca. And uh huh. Yeah. Christian, and how'd it go? Uh, it, it is neat. That's that's how I would describe it. It's follow up as a Three Caballeros, in which they continue to do that, where it's literally policy from uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was part of his goodwill policy towards South America and Latin America, trying to basically make sure that they did not collaborate with the Nazis and the Axis powers and that they were nice to America and the Allies. And Walt Disney seducing them was part of that. So, like, they they made some propaganda films. They made these package films, as you described. But they're all stuff that if you, you, you may not have heard of them, despite them being Disney projects. Well, what's the... The final one is Ichabod and Mr. Toad, I yes. think, right? The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which is yes. half Sleepy Hollow, half the Wind in the Willows. Right. And the thing about this is that after Ichabod and Mr. Toad, um, Walt wanted to go back into feature animation. He said that it was time. His brother, though, said, we need to make more package movies because, again, they're inexpensive to make. They allowed the studio to continue to be alive, and they were minorly profitable. And, and even we, though it should be said. Yes. Like, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was a huge hit, and other movies after it were not. Um, Disney was in a lot of financial troubles, and not only because they were being enlisted to make some of these movies, whether it be Salados Amigos or some of the stuff they made for the army and for the government, but you also lose access to the European film market, to the Asian film market, to markets around the world where people loved to go see movies because the, the war is ongoing, mm-hmm. which the war thankfully never got close to the mainland here. It hit Hawaii, obviously, but it never came closer. So our people who are at home were still able to go to the movies. But Disney has a much smaller audience and reduced resources so there's this tension between walt and roy roy disney about what do we do do we go back to features do we go back to package films or stick with package films and lo and behold they go back to features and we got cinderella and people were comparing it apparently the phrase that was used a lot by critics at the time was their best since snow white because they held a poster i'm pretty sure they held up snow white to be like the perfect the, the, the perfect movie, the crowning achievement of what Disney could have done. And it's probably because it's the first feature, le- it's the first American feature length animated movie. The second one, I believe, was Sullivan's Travel from the Fleischer Brothers at RKO. And then the third one, of course, Pinocchio. And Cinderella basically saved the studio. It They were $4 million in debt, and that's $4 million in 1950s dollars. But it was a huge success that brought Disney back from the brink and, of course, set them back on the path to making feature-length films as they released far fewer package films since then than the wartime era. Have they made a package movie since then? They have, Christian. Cinderella 2? No. Cinderella 2 is not a package film. It's an anthology film. Cinderella 2? Yes. The direct-to-video sequel? Yes. It's a collection of four different stories. Well, that doesn't technically count, because it was made by Disney Toons, I believe, and went direct-to-video. But no, the one package film I know they made is The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, 
which came out in the 70s, and it was three pre-existing Winnie the Pooh shorts plus one new one that they compiled into one film. So what they did, and I, I th- I'm not sure if this happened with one of the Aladdin or maybe Little Mermaid 2 or something, is um, Cinderella 2 is uh, theoretically, and, and uh, this isn't confirmed, came from episodes that were going to be created for a Cinderella TV show. And so I don't, I don't think it was... For Aladdin, it might have been for Little Mermaid. Sometimes they would compile and re-release like the first three episodes that were supposed to be for a uh, sequel, or that were supposed to be for I mean a TV show, and put that into a movie instead. Yeah, Disney over the years is very good at repurposing ideas and taking something that might have been a short film and expanding it into a feature or including it in a package film or taking an idea that was left on the cutting room floor and bringing it back later. Like, for example... Obi-Wan Kenobi. Supposed to be a movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was going to say The Little Mermaid was originally rejected as a pitch, and then once Musker and Clements made The Great Mouse Detective, they kept fighting for their opportunity to make The Little Mermaid and so okay. did. Did you know that parts of The Jungle Book are actually redrawn parts of either shorts or rejected ideas say more i don't think i knew that yes so i believe the king louis sequence had been used beforehand and the monkeys were weasels and they just told the animator to redraw the weasels as monkeys brilliant stuff um (laughs) the well at that point it's a completely new animated thing because i don't know how much you guys know about the way that monkeys and weasels look it is they are not like one-on-one comparisons they also behave in the world very differently so (laughs) that's quite the quite the redo from from disney i mean part of the score for the jungle book was also supposed to be part of the score for um the 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 movie that came right before that sword in the stone and so then yeah. they repurposed it because it was going to be played like on a lute or I don't know whatever the frick you have in medieval England. <laughs> and then they just... A mandolin, perhaps? Sure. And then they repurposed it for this movie. Meanwhile, in Cinderella, Cinderella um, began the... Was it the process of the Nine Old Men? Which is when... Um, it was like a, their play on the seven, uh, the seven Dwarves, which is a man would take the lead basically in it. Um, the animation sequences is semi what we would consider a director at this point right like the nine old men are these humorously named animators because none of them were old at the time but (laughs) these nine guys who are the most influential animators and disney at the time they were called the nine old men by walt himself and they helped put together the 12 rules of animation that define disney's animated or philosophy of creating animated stories and they were often the people who were key animators on projects or sequence directors or up to supervisor directors for the films. Um, talking a little bit more about these two in particular, Cinderella and Jungle Book, you can see the sort of the, the different ways that Disney occasionally makes movies coming together. So uh, both of these movies have sequence directors, of course, but Cinderella is uh, directed officially by Wilfred Jackson, Hamilton Lusky, and Clyde Geronimi, and the Jungle Book has a supervising director, Wolfgang Reitherman, uh, with many other sequence directors mixed in as well. No, absolutely. And there is... Did you know that part? Here, here's something that I learned recently about it. Part of Cinderella was actually filmed as live action. All of it. All of uh, Cinderella was filmed as live action. And, and that the, was... The mice? Maybe not the mice. There, no, no, that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I mean. <laughs> uh, well, that's a good point. So not all of it, but... 
All of the scenes where humans interact. I mean, I guess we don't know if the mice were or were not. <laughs> but that is that. That's what Disney would often do with their projects. They would bring in live action actors to act out the scenes to just ensure that the drama worked, to ensure that the scenes flowed naturally, that they they had something to work off of. But it also gave them, of course, references for how to animate these characters to put a human touch into these people. And uh, there is a woman. Helen Stanley is her name, I believe, and she play she played in live action both Cinderella in Cinderella and eventually Princess Aurora in The Sleeping Beauty. So she is well known for that. But yes, they would bring in live action actors to act out the scenes and give the animators something to work with. So obviously, all the art is created from scratch, but they're at least recreating or being inspired by these live action this live action footage. And the oh. You know what? Let's talk about these movies. Let's do it. Christian, before we do that, I just want to ask, just in general, mm-hmm. of, of this era, just so yes. about the Silver Age of Disney, it spans from 1950 to 1967. The other movies, I'll rattle them off quickly. Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, The Sword in the Stone, and ending with The Jungle Book. Just... If you have any nostalgia, if you've done some homework, how do you feel about this period for Disney in general? I'm curious. I think back on these movies more fondly than on the Golden Age. I, I was going to say the same thing. I used to watch Peter Pan a lot as a kid. It's it's one of the ones that, that most stands out. Alice in Wonderland, I remember going with my family to see during a re-release in theaters. It's one of those, like, summer had started, and so they were playing, like, kids' movies for all the kids who weren't in school. Um... Sleeping Beauty was a movie that I didn't catch up with until much, much later in life. Cinderella, of course, I remember seeing. I, I think I own the direct-to-video sequels, or my parents own them somewhere. It was one of those where you would just like grab all of everything that's in Disney on it. Um, and 101 Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians I have not seen in, in maybe 20 years. A lot of these movies, I'm, I'm with you, but like, I haven't seen them in a very long time. Lady and the Tramp, Maddie and I saw in at a Valentine's Day screening, actually, a few years ago, before, it was pre-COVID, so it's been a while, but Disney owns a theater called the El Capitan Theater here, which is in Hollywood, and we went to see that for Valentine's Day, which is super cute, but other than that, haven't seen a lot of these movies. super cute. It, it was, and haven't seen a lot of these movies in a long time, so I'm catching up with them now, and it's so fun to re-watch them, and just find the moments from the movies that have lodged in my memory, and <laughs> that... My that are somehow being unlodged by watching them. It's it's like a weird deja vu sensation where a lot of these movies are the ones that my siblings and I would rewatch over and over again when I, we were young. I forgot how much I knew Bare Necessities. I forgot how much I knew uh, I Want to Be Like You. I, did, I had forgotten that King Louie is the one who sings I Want to Be Like You. <laughs> I remember the live action remake for The Jungle Book, which Never I, saw it. <laughs> I really liked at the time. I'm curious to see how I would feel about it now because I've had less and less positive reactions to those movies but people were sad at the time because they cut that song I, I don't think they do a ton of music in that movie but they did cut i want to be like you which people were not happy with but let's talk cinderella and the jungle book now christian mm-hmm. my opening question to you these these two movies really make use of two templates that disney used all the time number one the princess film disney's famous for its princess movies and stories okay but believe it or not Till the end of the Silver Age, the only princess films they have released are Snow White, yep. Cinderella, yep. 
and uh, Sleeping Beauty. Yep. It's it's like, yes, during the Disney Renaissance, we got way more of the Disney princesses, but they're, it's, they're not... They're making a lot of movies that are not princess movies at this time. Indeed they are. And many of those movies are about talking animals. So thank you for segueing right into The Jungle Book there. We have, of course, Bambi and Dumbo, which featured talking animals <laughs> from, from the earlier Golden Age. Does Dumbo speak? Dumbo himself does not. But his, his best pal, Timothy Q. Mouse, is a chatterbox. And the crows speak. And the problematic crows also have a lot to say. But we also have movies like Lady and the Tramp and 101 Dalmatians and then The Jungle Book. So for these two templates, Christian, I'm curious, which of these movies did you like more, Cinderella or The Jungle Book? And do you feel like that falls in line with your appreciation for either princess movies or Disney's more talking animal style stuff? Because I'm curious if you have like a, a Disney subgenre that you like more or if it Maybe it's the other way around. Where, hey, I like Cinderella more, but I lean towards the talking animals. <laughs> um, okay. I, there are not... <laughs> oh, man, there's no way to say this correctly. Oh. <laughs> where is this going? I liked it... <laughs> I like it when, um... I realize that some of the movies I'm looking back at more fondly are the ones where, um men are adults and have more to do than just they need to find a wife um and you don't really get a lot of those right now um so i realized that i was leaning more actually um princessy because there were dudes um talking animals it depends on whether or not i like the talking animals Wait, I'm not sure if I'm entirely tracking with you here. Wait, why are you talking about the men in these movies? Like, because they're not. I, I realized that growing up, like, I I would enjoy rewatching Aladdin and Tarzan and Peter Pan and yes. Peter Pan. Yes, I'm like, oh, this dude is doing something. Like in that you're identifying more with the male characters. Yes. as a, a little boy watching them, and now a grown up man. Um, and uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> It's funny, a lot of these movies actually don't pass... Well, one, yes, they're not passing the Bechdel test. <laughs> but they're not passing the Bechdel test in reverse either. The men are only there to... Um, what What is it? They're only there to marry women. Yes, very, similarly to Snow White. Yeah. Prince, the Prince Charming, right, in Cinderella, that's, that's Prince Charming. Sure. He does not have a lot of screen time. <laughs> a lot of people talk about him, but he doesn't really get a ton to do himself. So and I this see was what just, you mean. This was just growing up. It's like, oh, who can I relate to in these Disney movies? And I think the Disney Renaissance opened up for more possibilities. And I'm not talking for men. It's stupid. Men have gotten all the possibilities in the world. I'm saying um, their characters seem to be doing more. Um, talking animals i think normally i would lean toward except that i think sometimes we're talking animals are stupid and <laughs> you tell them christian okay i i but but, but answer the question here cinderella or the jungle book you know the jungle book is a travesty the jungle book sucks um <laughs> wow christian <laughs> the jungle book sucks coming in hot the jungle cinderella book sucks. okay cinderella is a masterpiece 
Cinderella is wow. a masterpiece. Wow, Christian coming in hot with the uh, the hot and the cold. Cinderella's masterpiece in the Jungle Book is a travesty. <laughs> Put it on the poster, folks. Okay, do you agree? Not you. You wouldn't use the terms maybe as strongly as I would. However, do you agree that Cinderella is better? I do agree that Cinderella is better. I very much enjoyed Cinderella. I also liked the Jungle Book. That's, I definitely that's, preferred that's, Cinderella, but the Jungle Book script makes no, makes no sense makes absolutely no sense it is a hangout movie it just wants you to hang out with its characters the entire time i don't know why we're taking mowgli to the man village it's because i know that it's because of shere khan so you do know why you just said you know it, why. it's just that shere khan <laughs> is one tiger he doesn't even have like minions he's an apex predator christian he doesn't need minions this was a pack of wolves this was a pack of wolves that had raised Mowgli since he was a baby. And they go, no, we cannot stand up against this one tiger. Tigers are scary, dude. I mean, they, they'll kill you. Baloo's a bear. Yeah, but he's like, a bear. He's like a lazy hippie bear. What, what's he going to do? He, he literally he, he fights the this fight. tiger. He loses the fight, Christian. He almost dies. It takes four vultures, one man... One bear and one panther. And one extremely lucky lightning strike, lest we forget that's how you telling me you telling fire. me an army of elephants and and a pack of wolves could not have taken down Shere Khan? Now, I'm not gonna say that they could not have done that. Because I, they we experienced zero <laughs> casualties here. In this in this children's film, we experienced zero casualties. <laughs> I'm stunned, Christian. How could I? How could Disney do this? I want bloody, violent death. Children must learn. Baloo should have died. Baloo should. Baloo, Baloo was hit by a tiger so many times. Claude. Baloo should have died. Get out. logically. He loses his fight. Logically. So we're talking about a movie with seven dwarves. <laughs> Who help a young lady dodge her mystical, magical, evil mother-in-law. A puppet who's brought to life by a fairy and gets a cricket to pal around with him and act as his conscience. Another movie where a young lady has attachments to animals and speaks to them and knits them or sews them clothing. And goes that's, as a fairy that's, godmother. That's, that, that, that's, that's a banger move. And this, here's the thing. The gender politics of Cinderella, absolutely not progressive. Because here's the thing. At the beginning of it, apparently there's a mouse caught in a trap. And, he, and uh, they tell her this. And it's like, oh. And she takes out a dress. And they're like, no, 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 it's a dude. And he's like, oh, puts it back, takes out a jacket. First of all, jacket doesn't even fit him. That, that poor little shirt, you know, it, it rides up on him a little bit. He's, he's got a bare tummy, but he's just a little mouse. It's so. so funny. Cinderella, masterpiece, and guess why? There's like a point to it. Every single scene is leading up to Cinderella going to the ball. Also, Cinderella, 80 million times more interested in Mowgli as the main character. Wait, what? You just said Cinderella is 80... Million times more interesting as the main character than oh, Mowgli. Oh, you're saying okay. You're interested in Cinderella compared to Mowgli. Okay. Also, Cinderella, <laughs> kind of feisty. I wish I wish people could see her face right now. Yes, she was intentionally designed that way too. Like that's awesome. It, the, the Cinderella is a reaction in some ways to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, where Snow White, even at the time, was criticized as being a very passive character. She is 
very sweet, very happy, very gentle, stumbles upon this house and is like, I'm going to clean the whole joint for all these Prays for her friends. She prays for her friends. And so Cinderella was written to be a sort of, a, a mildly updated version of this character where, yes, she's still, like, she wants to put on a pretty dress and go to the ball and she falls in love with the prince but she, at least in her home life, she's she is more fleshed out as a character. She has more of a personality, and feisty is a good way to say it. Where she's dealing with her wicked stepmother and absolutely annoying stepsisters. They keep ringing the bell, and she's like, "I'm coming. Can't you just <laughs> wait?" <laughs> I'm like, "I feel you." <laughs> and her, but she's still yeah. always kind. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I would say, I, I don't know if I would go so far as to say. Cinderella is a fully fleshed out character. Not Obviously, minute. when like you said, it's not necessarily a progressive movie. But when you are looking at the ways where they are specifically enriching her character compared to Snow White and where they were 12 years, 13 years ago when that movie released, it is a bit of an update. And it's interesting to see how Disney, even at the time, was trying to better develop their lead female characters. But also, though, Cinderella and, and this... Kind of, no, actually Snow White falls prey to this. Cinderella doesn't really want to go to the ball to dance with the prince. That ends up being like a side effect of it. She really just wants to leave, like for home. She just wants to be out for a night. Right. And so like, you know, this is the original Party All Night movie. No. (laughs) She specifically needs to leave and go home at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this clock, this clock doesn't make sense. I believe it chimes midnight like eighty thousand times before the pumpkin finally starts to like go back into regular size. Yeah, the the spell is a sort of delayed release effect where things Yo, don't change all at once. When when the king sends the knights like after her to look for her, these horses have like red eyes. The knights yeah. are in full battle, yeah. like ready. And I'm like, are they like? Are they there to kill her? Because they're Probably these not. are some demons chasing after her. And I think that speaks to the developing animation for Cinderella as well. Obviously, one of the really fun parts of this personal project we're embarking upon is seeing the ways that Disney's style is honed and developed. And Cinderella is definitely a leap forward in terms of, you know, not not necessarily just their creativity or inventiveness, because that was always on display in these classic Disney films, but it's building out a a more refined form uh, in terms of this sort of fairy tale princess story type of animation. I love the the way the castle is portrayed in this movie, where it's this, this is like such a cool castle, big and tall and and sort of like blocky style architecture almost. And guess what? The mice, like the animals here, they're so cool. Like, these mice have such cool personalities to them, and all of them are... are, This is why I like this movie way more than I like Snow White, because sure... Honestly, yes, the animation of Snow White is still incredibly impressive, but there's there's character to the animals. Like, the animals are (laughs) showing and stuff. They speak this time, and they speak in the most unbelievably strange animal voice what accents are these i don't know but i'm down i suggested we do the whole podcast actually uh, you know in, in jack and gus voice but that probably would have been painful to listen to for our listeners yo 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 bibbidi bobbidi boo still rocks it's a great song still rocks 
I, oh, I had forgotten how the fairy godmother herself sort of just appears out of the blue and Cinderella is just she's just like oh hello like, it's fairy godmother she, she's she's confused at the beginning though she's like who the f are yeah. you yeah well, one thing that is funny about some of these Disney movies is because of their short runtime Cinderella not a two hour extravaganza it is another 75 or 80 minute or 74 according to Wikipedia 74 minute runtime there is they cut to the chase quite a bit <laughs> you know what movie doesn't cut to the chase Jungle Book <laughs> Beginning of Jungle Book. So, beginning of Jungle Book, the panther... What, is it a panther? Is Bagheera a Bagheera panther? Bagheera is a panther. Okay, yes. Bagheera, like, finds a male, uh, like, a baby. They call yes. them the male cub. Or the... No, man cub. A man cub. And so, he's like, let me take this to some wolves. Because and they just had a litter of, of pups, you know? Gotta... He says the funniest thing at the beginning. Where he's like, I knew the mother wolf would accept him because of maternal instincts. So it was yes. just about a reminder that Disney is very progressive, especially at this time. <laughs> like, Bear's basically like, I know someone who's a mom. I'm going to give her another baby from a different species. <laughs> but my point, my point with that for Cinderella is that it is kind of funny to realize that modern movies sometimes might get caught up in stumbling over what might be described as a quote-unquote plot hole. For example, Cinderella lives this absolutely miserable life with her stepmother and her incredibly pampered and spoiled stepsisters who treat her as a servant. And the fairy godmother shows up to get her to a ball when she's like 18 and not the whole time before that. It's like the Fairly Odd Parents that the no, Nick show. Okay. Timmy Turner gets but his godparents as a child. That's that's the thing though. Her fairy godmother is there, and her fairy godmother is only there to save her for a night because they say that this is a dream and a dream can exist for a night. There you go. And, and let me tell you, I do not care about that. I'm saying that I think it makes sense. It's like the it's the narrative economy of these Disney stories where they do not need to overly explain things, partially because of the budget. These movies were often short because of their budget. It was expensive to animate by hand. And you know who still animates by hand? Miyazaki. Yeah. He's a stud. He's a legend. He's a, a living legend. That's Hayao Miyazaki. Back to he... Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. <clears throat> now, another reason why I prefer Cinderella to Jungle Book... Jungle Book's colors are so muted. They're so droll. And it, I don't think that that needed to be the choice to be made for this jungle. Because you can have vibrant greens. Vibrant, uh, believe it or not, more vibrant grays to make this livelier. Or even like more luscious black for um, Bagheera. Yeah, they this is do maybe, not have that. Maybe a good point to talk about the, the literal process of animation. Because that changed for Disney in the Silver Era where they start using a process called xerography, yes. which is like similar to Xerox, if people know that, where it enables the animators to copy the characters right onto... to copy the characters onto the background, or like the cell is what it's called, the animation, which allows them to speed up the process, but it also gives characters more clearly defined outlines and can sometimes seem shaggy or, or cheaper, depending on how the animation is, is employed. And I will say, 101 Dalmatians, much more richly colored than The Jungle Book. 
And there are there are times, and that also was using xerography. And there are times in the Jungle Book, like the opening, for example, where they're doing the credits and they're slowly drifting through some of the different backdrops in the jungle. The background art is still beautiful. Um, the the artists working at Disney, masters of their craft in terms of creating these environments and setting up their world in beautiful ways. But I do know what you mean, where some of the colors certainly are a little more muted, whereas in Cinderella, they are much richer. 100%. And there... Look, Jungle Book also probably suffered from the fact that Disney died, I believe, 10 months before this. This is the last film produced by Walt Disney. No, but I think he died before the movie came out. Check me on that. He died on my birthday in 1967, and this movie came out in October, so I believe it, it came out uh, right before he died. Okay. Okay. So, you have an ailing Disney. Oh, Christian, you were right. He died on my birthday in 1966. So, gotcha. this movie is the last one he produced. It was released posthumously. Yes. So, 10 months before this movie, Disney is dead. And when... Look, Walt Disney is the Kevin Feige is the best way to do this. He does not direct, he does not write, but these are Walt Disney productions. He is overseeing who should be in charge of the script, who should be the lead animators, how to go about retelling what stories should be readapted. And uh, he, he, I mean, Kevin Feige is honestly a perfect example or modern day comp for him. With your tour de force dead and uh, the company bears his name, it does kind of probably say, this is our next movie. What what were his intentions? How can we replenish? Because he has brought this company so much success right. over the years. I mean, to that point, obviously the movie was finished after he died, but it had been, it was in production for a long time. He was the one who acquired the rights to the Roger Kipling stories and helped define the story early on. Um, so I don't know how much of it was necessarily a reaction to his death because it was in production when he died. And I will say, Christian, from what I, I've, I've read some, a couple of articles doing a Disney animation ranked, kind of stacking them up 59 to 1. I've looked at how movies are rated by our fellow Letterboxd users, kind of just getting a sense of where these movies sit in the larger canon and how people feel about them. Your take about the Jungle Book being a travesty, to use your word, is uncommon, I will say. Uh, the Jungle Book tends to rank more highly, when I, at least when I'm reading through these lists that outlets will put out with a few of their writers teaming up to do a big project like this. I tend to see the Jungle Book actually in the top half, let alone near the bottom. I... I and, I, and I think... I do not... It, it's... I think this movie is boring. Here's the thing. Do you understand why I think this movie is boring? I mean, sure. But it, but also, it is using this similar Disney narrative style where it's more... It's not. It's got these sequences. It's more of a vignette all along getting Mowgli out of the jungle and to the man village. And he meets different animals and learns different lessons along the way. And to me, like, the story, whatever you want to call it, is extremely straightforward. And it's perfectly suited to a less than because, 80 minute well, Disney movie. What, what is it that Mowgli is supposed to learn? Is Mowgli supposed to learn that he should want to be a human? It's entirely unclear. Even, like, look, maybe this is ish similar to Pinocchio, I'm not sure. The purpose of Pinocchio is for him to learn 
that there's good, there's bad, and he should be able to choose between the two of them, and he should be able to choose so while being selfless. In fact, that's the entire, like, like not verbatim, but basically what the Blue Fairy says to him. Right, be... be... Is it honest? It's honest something and good. I forget the third adjective. What is Mowgli supposed to learn? Because by the end, the only thing that convinces him to go in there is that he ends up having a crush on one of the girls there. <laughs> it's classic. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I think it's just a story of growing up. Where Mowgli wants to live in the jungle. He wants to stay in the jungle and stay with these animals. And specifically, meeting Baloo is the biggest problem for him. Because Baloo is a great character he's one of my favorite disney characters so far and in his lackadaisical approach to life that's what the bare necessities is all about you know he and mowgli are eating fruit but scratch the backs on trees prior and to this mowgli has to learn disney to has up. already made a movie about that topic so? peter pan so which what? is better so Be what so what that Did peter pan is better pinocchio is no, no 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 so what they made a movie about the topic Disney's made a bunch of Christmas movies. Disney's made a bunch of movies about people growing it's, up it's, and learning no, no, no. responsibility. It's not that you can't make another movie about growing up. It's that if you have already made this movie that tackles it in a better way, why is it that you took such a downturn in this movie? When's the last time you watched Peter Pan? Ooh, that's rough. Like, 15 years ago, probably. I watched it last night. Jungle Book is a better movie. <laughs> Let me I... Tell you. Fine. Okay, look. Both the movies are racist. Uh, Peter Pan is viciously racist, unfortunately. <laughs> I can I can like take that in context and stride to a degree, but both the movies are racist. <laughs> Let's think. Jungle Book is less racist, which is a shame. You have to compare the racism of two things. I, I, the the thing is, like, even now, fifteen years later, the. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? It's a crocodile. The crocodile's like... Like, that's still in my mind. The the um, picture of the four kids and Peter Pan on the clock sitting on top of it is still in my mind. Like, like all of this is, is, is coming from memory. Tinkerbell going and sprinkling the dust on them and then leaving their head... Uh, then leaving it for the first time. That's still there. The mermaids and like the little cave and everything in all of these are i think moments that are more iconic to well again this is going off the cuff then i want to be like you or bare necessities look i want to be like you and bare necessities are bangers absolute bangers that those are 10 out of 10 moments in a not a 10 out of 10 movie which is also i i i'll say this on jungle book's behalf but again travesty of a movie the only real song that comes to me from Cinderella is Bippity Boppity Boo. Right. There's a there's a there's a couple more. Bippity Boppity Boo. And I don't even know what any of those are. Like Bippity Boppity Boo is got nominated for an Oscar that did year, it win it? It did not win, but it was okay. nominated. Um Cinderella also got the best scoring of a musical picture, which Disney movies often receive nominations for, as well as best sound recording. But Bippity Boppity Boo became an iconic Disney song, and there's a lot from Cinderella that became an iconic part of the Disney brand. Cinderella's costume herself, you know, people laugh because they think of Cinderella in her blue dress, when in the movie it is a white dress, mm -hmm. and there's a sort of Mandela effect thing that happens when people try to think about it, because in the ensuing years, in real life, Cinderella often wears the blue dress costume. So Her, her castle is the Disney World castle. That is the Sleeping Beauty castle. Nope. That's Disneyland. 
Oh, LLO. There you go. Uh, I, I don't know my world for my land. And, and the Jungle Book, it has the bare necessities, you know, which is and also a very iconic Disney song. But for obvious reasons, I think some of its characters have not become as iconic I believe <laughs> as Cinderella's. I Maybe that's it. None of these characters make sense to me. I, I, I don't... The, the th- talking animals uh, <laughs> really frustrating you? Look, you can't say that because Jack and Gus make sense to me. <laughs> uh, zook, zook, Christian. Zook, zook. Like, I, <laughs> I... I don't... What are the elephants there as an army? Like, the elephants there as an army... The, the elephant the, army is absolutely stupendous stuff. The <laughs> only reason they are there is to tell us that we are in um british occupied oh, india the colonel the uncle the elephant is the colonel he's making them all march and he's got his little bamboo also, branch or here's, it's so good why are all of the animals men like have the you there's one the elephant's wife, wife is the only woman there she's the only one which like i i, I like this isn't even like a, i when they did the live action remake scarlett johansson was the snake did you know that there you go. Now you do. I mean, I don't know why why they were all men, Christian. I, I, it's, it's to it's, me that's neither here nor there. That's that's not really. It's it just no no no. It's something. It doesn't about. make believe it or not. Does not make the jungle feel real to me. It feels like they just put stuff together, and then they released it as a movie. Um, I mean, they are loosely adapting these these stories from Richard Kipling. Um. Reducing some of his imperialist tendencies, from what I understand, <laughs> and making a more streamlined children's adventure film uh, about Mowgli's not coming of age necessarily, but learning to go back to the main village and, and accepting that he needs to grow up into the next phase of his life. But you and know, again, but a lot Cinderella's of... actually vivid. Uh, Cinderella okay. is easier to get. I, I don't know. I still to. prefer Cinderella. I and and what I'm saying is that. It's bizarre to me that you've taken such a hard turn on The Jungle Book because its narrative formula is similar to a lot of other Disney movies from that time period and before it, where it's a loose narrative. We're going from fun sequence to fun sequence. And to me, The Jungle Book actually has a clear A to B where Bagheera and eventually Baloo are trying to get Mowgli out of the jungle. And Baloo sort of enters the picture as this force holding him back before he finally helps helps Mowgli move on. And I, I just simply do not understand your resistance to the to the narrative, where it feels so similar Mowgli, to these it, other stories that were. It, let me in. let me reduce it to one thing. Then Mowgli is a nothing character. Mowgli is a character who is there for other people to put their ideas into as to what he should do onto him, and he doesn't even grow up by the end of the movie. Well, that, <laughs> I mean, the movie happens over the course of a couple of days, so he does Neither. eventually leave. He does decide to go join the main sure. village. Um, I won't talk more about Cinderella because that's the movie that I really like. <laughs> there is a scene in Cinderella. So so they give her a lot of chores to do. And that is when the princess made his edict that every eligible maiden in the land should come to his castle for a ball. Left behind that gosh darn glass slipper that for whatever reason was not impacted by the, the magic this spell. Is, sh- before this, before, before this, before this, before. Oh, so, the, the come to the ball. Come to okay. the ball. Yes, 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 yes. 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 
They come to the ballpark, and uh, so um, Cinderella's evil stepmother has said that she can go, but if she finishes all her chores, and so she gives her 80,000 chores to do during that day. As do the two sisters. By the way, Anastasia and Drizella, fantastic, fantastic, annoying stepsister names. Kudos to either Disney or Charles Charles Perrault, whose story we're adapting here. There's a movie called Anastasia, right? About the Russian girl? Yes. Don Bluth, a, a Disney expat who started his own studio. But now I think it's still, it's re-owned by Disney. Anyway, tangent. Shout now, out to the purchase of 20th Century Fox. Anyway. Now, so she does not have a chance to make her dress. And so the mice make it for her. I almost cried. <laughs> the mice make her the dress. And she puts on the dress and it's this nice pink dress with like green pearls or so. I don't know, green, whatever. And she goes down the stairs and she's going to go into it. But then what they had done, the mice had used the discarded like scarves and jewelry that the sisters had done. So the sisters like, oh, you thief, even though they had clearly trashed those things. Yes. And the scene is like a horror movie. Like they go and they rip her dress to shreds. Yeah, it's all done with these like these close-ups on them. And the normal backgrounds are replaced by darkness. bright flashing yes. colors or darkness. Yeah. And, and and it's terrifying. And then she goes back and she's crying. And here's the thing. The evil stepmother doesn't have any magical powers. Like, she's not a Maleficent. You know, she's not an Pure evil spine, queen. baby. <laughs> Lady she, Tremaine. She's a legend of the game. But her, even her look, the way in which she looks is, is awful. And it is such a great animation of evil. And it's also nice that it is right after this horrifying scene where Cinderella had done all that she could possibly do, that that is when the fairy godmother comes, which is such a great, great part of the story of, of the script. Yeah, like I said earlier, you know, the the fairy godmother just deciding this is the time to show up, like, I think that would be wrongly cast as a plot hole, so to speak, today, because it totally works in context of the story. And it's a delightful performance from Verna Felton, who's the voice actor for The Fairy Godmother, who did voices in a ton of Disney movies um, in, in the, at the time. And she's just delightful as a voice actress. Lady Tremaine, voice uh, performed by Eleanor Audley, who would also return to Disney a few years later to play Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty. So she gets... You know, have you rewatched Sleeping Beauty? I have rewatched Sleeping Beauty. Okay. I, I rewatched it. And... It... I'm gonna say I'm actually gonna say my thoughts. Okay, um, colors are beautiful. Sleeping Beauty might be one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. But yeah, two absolutely iconic performances from Eleanor Audley. She is, and, and the best part about Lady Tremaine, she's not the character like, of Cinderella is better than the character of Briar Rose. Yes, yes, she is. Uh, but the best part about Lady Tremaine is. You know, she, like you said, no magic powers, and <laughs> she is just... I'm this, sorry, Aurora. Uh, right, Aurora. Uh, and Lady Tremaine is just this, like, purely spiteful woman who wants to preference her own daughters over okay. her stepdaughter. Okay, And the I, way that she is played is, like, it's just so satisfyingly evil, and I so appreciate the performance. At, at the end 
uh, near the end of the movie when you know she's done the thing where she leaves the glass slipper and they are going through the land trying to find every single maiden in order to try that glass slipper onto every single foot and then they get to Cinderella's house and they tried on Drizella and Anastasia by the way Anastasia and Drizella fat feet losers they got they got big old feet they're trying to fit them on these tiny glass slippers which again we're thinking about the 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 beauty standards that Disney is reinforcing for their female characters at the time, Disney's not progressive, folks. Yeah, they're <laughs> fat-footed losers. And if you are a listener of this podcast and you have a fat foot, good for you. Now, and so we... <laughs> yeah, careful, Christian. We're going we're gonna to lose, lose part of our listener base here. I don't know. But, with skinny feet percentage I don't know if they provide those analytics to us but yes um, Lady Tremaine yeah. on some A plus S tier okay. evil and so they, they they um Cinderella she likes Cinderella in like the tower Cinderella they, the mice managed to steal the key and go back to her and, and they managed to take her uh, to, to save her and she goes down and by the time she's gotten down the dude the, the, the king helper dude sir whatever the the grand frick, duke Grand Duke, the Grand Duke bitch, he's there and he's tried the, the, the glass slipper on the girls, doesn't fit, and so Cinderella finally comes down and uh, Lady Tremaine, out of her spite, trips the dude's like footman yeah. so that the glass <laughs> slipper breaks and guess what Cinderella does in like the best one in the film? She's like, if it helps... I have the other slipper. Yeah, like you can. It's just like a mic drop moment. <laughs> it's, what? It's, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> you can hear the crowd of people being like, "Oh!" <laughs> With Cinderella pulling out the other, the other Which, slipper. Incredible this, stuff. She's so well written. She has personality. Oh my goodness, she has personality, and she's always kind when you see her. And she's one of those people where it's like, look. I'm here and I do my job, but there's got to be something better out there. And that is such a relatable topic, such a relatable concept that her character holds up the entire time through. And also the fact that she doesn't really care about being with the prince, I think also helps because at the end, her actually getting with the prince is more like a nice bonus. It's funny because she dances with him at this ball and somehow has no idea that he's the prince. Which, the the most unbelievable part about this movie that includes talking animals and a fairy godmother is that the prince and Cinderella dance for God knows how long. She does not show up to the ball at 11.59. They're dancing for hours and he doesn't ask her name? Like, come on, man. You're, you're going to be running this kingdom soon? You can't remember it's, someone's name? It's as bad as going on a first date with the girl. And taking her to see a movie. What? It's a phenomenal first date, Christian. We support... Scott! We support people going to movies on dates. No! No, 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 no. A movie's a third date. A first date, you need to get to know the girl. You know what you can do before or after the movie, Christian? I ate... Coffee, no, 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 no. Dinner, perhaps? Say this is an hour and 45 minute movie. An hour and 45 minutes, it's too weird on a first date for you to be sitting next to her and then just not talking. But then you leave the movie, you have something to talk about. You say, hey, how did you feel about the film Saltburn? And she can say, "I, I enjoyed its sick and twisted nature. And you can say, I'm all about that. And... Ten years later, you're introduced to me to your kids. You know, like, oh, come on. I, I have a friend who went on a first date with a girl and they went to see Phantom Thread. Well, 
How'd that work out for them? They're now married. <laughs> That's a delightful outcome. Uh, Christian, you know something else delightful about Cinderella? The cat is quite literally named Lucifer. That's awesome. Uh, so not only is the evil cat named Lucifer, which is the a, a, another mythological name given to Satan, but that means that Lady Tremaine, given all the names that you can name a, a, a cat, opted <laughs> for basically Satan. This is my cat, Lucifer. Just great stuff. Um, Adolf was taken by Adolf, a different cat. A, 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 this is a little bit too soon, Christian, because this movie came out in 1950. Um... Something, you know, we've talked about funny letterboxed reviews for the movies we cover on the show before. One of my favorite reviews for Cinderella <laughs> is someone who called out the A plot of this movie is Tom and Jerry. The B plot is Cinderella. Because <laughs> there is so much uh, literal cat and mouse games in this movie as Jack and Gus try to outwit and escape Lucifer the cat. Where they're, they're, it, it's... I don't know how inspired it was by Tom and Jerry. If Tom and Jerry had even been made at this point, that might have come a little bit later. But, um, I, you know, neither here nor there. But yeah, it's just, it, the, the animal comedy here yes. is funny. There's like a real slapstick sensibility to it that is something that's also new for the Disney way of animation that I noticed and thought actually was quite successful. Let's talk, though, about some animals from the Jungle Book that we didn't get to, which is the four vultures. The, the four vultures who are... Which are meant to represent the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Because they That's had right. asked the Beatles to voice <laughs> characters in the Jungle Book. And John Lennon, specifically John, said, no, I think that that would be kind of lame. And so we have four vultures who still speak and have hair that is drawn to look like a boy band. It's great stuff. Those guys have... Uh... No spine. They they ditch Mowgli the first sign of Shere Khan. Shame. shame, shame, shame. Like right before that they had said that they were friends that they would never leave each other. Yep. yep. Sang a whole song about it. Sang a whole song. Spineless, feckless vultures. For shame. Um, I'm done. Christian's done. Cinderella is a delight. Mm-hmm. Christian finds it to be a masterpiece. Jungle Book is... To me, also, a little bit of a delight. But to Christian, it's a travesty. <laughs> Which is, you know, I, I, I certainly think Cinderella is a better movie. So we're not going to fight about that. But sounds like I might recommend revisiting The Jungle Book. If you have not seen it in a while, Christian would recommend you do almost anything else. Uh, maybe, perhaps, Christian will talk about least favorite Disney movies in addition to our favorites when we get to the end of this month. Okay, I am curious. What movies are we discussing next week? Because you have told me one. Yes. So next week on the show, let there, there's a, a couple other uh, important Disney eras to discuss. So next week we are skipping over the post Walt years. Uh, these are movies that are unfortunately not as successful, and Disney's animation department was in a sort of one in, in the wilderness a little bit post Walt Disney. There's still some here that people like and remember fondly, but there's fewer movies, and in general. They're often near the bottom of Disney-ranked lists. And then, in the year of our Lord, 1989, or the year of whoever whoever you worship out there, folks, 1989, The Little Mermaid, kicks off the Disney Renaissance. Uh, some people might say The Great Mouse Detective kicks off the Disney Renaissance, if they're kind of going for a hot take. That was also Musker and Clements, but really, it's The Little Mermaid, which launches Disney into a new era of financial success, critical adulation, 
and Oscar's attention, even. And that spans from 89 to 99 with the release of Tarzan. But Christian, the movies that we'll be talking about from the Disney Renaissance are two of the biggest movies from that era. One, Beauty and the Beast, which I alluded to last week on the show. Beauty and the Beast became the first animated film nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards in a period where only five movies were able to be nominated. So it's the only animated movie to be nominated when there are just five nominees. Correct. And only two have been nominated since. Up and Toy Story 3. Shout out to Disney and their acquisition of Pixar. The other movie that we'll be discussing, it's hard to choose because you have The Little Mermaid. You have Aladdin. And you have Hercules. You have Mulan. You're going to choose The Lion King, aren't you? The that I ever saw in the theater, Mulan. But yeah, of course, I'm choosing The Lion King. The Lion King... When You Look Back is a movie that I think is one of the most popular from the Disney Renaissance. All of these movies are popular, but The Lion King is a little bit on a different, a little bit of a different level. One of the highest grossing uh, Disney animated movies that's ever been released. Correct. So definitely, definitely going to be talking about Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. Speaking about talking animals and speaking about princesses, and now we get to incorporate a whole new category of talking, uh, talking furniture and well each home accoutrements <laughs> each week we've done a princess and talking animals well yes uh, i guess pinocchio himself is not an animal necessarily Jiminy cricket but and the foxes Jiminy cricket and then and the fox and now we'll get to look at the lion king which is replete with talking animals and remember when they made the live action lion king yes i do remember that i, I remember don't. not hating that movie and then, and then it made a disturbing amount of money. And <laughs> Disney kept making their shameful live-action reboots. Beauty and the Beast has also received a live-action remake. That was the first movie I saw and cried at in a movie theater. Uh, so that's a great shame that I have to live with. But we're going to be talking about the original. So folks, catch up with Beauty and the Beast. Catch up with The Lion King. Keep that Disney Plus subscription uh, <laughs> rolling for at least another couple weeks. And join us next week as we talk about the Disney Renaissance, one of the biggest and most successful eras in Disney animation history, one that redefined their reputation in the the modern world. The modern world. <laughs> in the, the popular mindset? What's that phrase? What, what am I forgetting? Bro, you're on your own. <laughs> I am I'm left adrift here. Christian won't help me. But that's okay, folks, because he's, he's got my back otherwise. And that is our show. So, of course, if you're still listening to us ramble on about these Disney movies and talk about our favorite uh, Beatles-inspired vultures, we greatly, sincerely appreciate your support of the show. And there are a few things that you can do to continue to support the show. Number one, of course, if you can, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if applicable. Helps us grow on those platforms and it always means a lot to see new five-star ratings come in, to see uh, new reviews come in as well that can give us just some nice things, which we appreciate that, folks. You know, you don't have to go out of your way to do that. And when you do, it puts a smile on our face and it warms our heart. So, uh, again, feel free to subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. You can also follow or send us an email. Excuse me, I'm trying to pull up the inbox right now, which is why my train of thought was a little distracted. You can send us an email to cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. We're talking Disney. I know some of you out there have seen Disney movies. Would love to get your thoughts on the Disney movies we're talking about. The Disney movies we're not. And as we especially get into our top five Disney movies in a couple weeks here, would love to know your lists or even just your favorite Disney movie. You don't need to send all five. We'd love to get some listener feedback for that episode. So again, that's cinemaontappodcast at gmail.com. 
You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. I am feverishly uploading reviews of Disney movies to Letterboxd, <laughs> trying to keep up and cross off as many as I can before we get to our top five list later on this month, Christian. Are you watching any non-Disney stuff, or what? where are you at with the uh, <laughs> the homework versus uh, <laughs> other, so I feel other like options? Other options have been um, watching new releases. I... I think for, for some reason I'm going to see Violent Night next week with a Q&A with John Woo. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for you. I, I hope good things for that movie. I've, I've, and, I've got a John Woo movie out actually right now from the great cinephile, the last uh, video rental store here in LA. So and looking forward to watching that. If, uh, you haven't told me if you're in or not, but we do have tickets to go see May, December with the Q&A with Todd Haynes. Gotta uh, check my schedule. And then, what is it? So, I watched Star Trek The Motion Picture yesterday, and I think I might be watching Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan today. So, um, we're, you know, we're all over the place, but we, we, we've, we've done a good chunk of Disney homework, like Bambi, Sleeping Beauty, um, and going, trying to dig actually more into the Renaissance, because I, what is it? It's one of those where I find it hard that a movie that I am... Um, watching for the first time is going to make the top five list although it could find it much more so that there are parts of the disney renaissance that i have forgotten and so want to do it and also like the forgotten era post disney renaissance everything from like what sinbad to treasure planet uh not sinbad that's dreamworks no atlantis atlantis the lost empire that's disney baby yes <clears throat> atlantis treasure planet the emperor's new groove just a string of box office misses but for like movies that are pretty awesome movies that are beloved but not always successful at the box office um also all three <laughs> of them are like really similar the emperor's new groove i know not but... emperor's new Groove. <laughs> uh, treasure planet and atlantis treasure planet similar. and atlantis yeah so like science fictiony disney stories i mean lilo and stitch is technically part of this era another science fictiony story so you know, we'll, we'll maybe chat about some of those movies. Lilo and Stitch is getting a live action. It, indeed it is. They're dropping like flies, Christian. It's been, don't but, have a live action remake at this point. I mean, it's being directed by the guy who made Marcella Shovel Shoes on, so... Which, I, I hate this trend. Like, Barry <laughs> Jenkins is directing a Mufasa movie. <laughs> who was asking for the Mufasa movie? Like, why are we forcing Barry Jenkins to make a Mufasa movie? Why can't Barry Jenkins make another... Beautiful, luscious, thoughtful, heart-rending, real-life story. But no, we have to have him go play with CGI lions because okay. that's how directors okay. have to live in today's day and age. Okay, 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 look, look. Cinderella by Kenneth Branagh is not bad. I actually haven't seen that one. I, I would like to. I'd like to see it. I never but had it's, its fans. But it's... It's when they thought, wouldn't this be cool to do and not, let's do this as our sole way of making money. Yes. Well, we'll be talking Disney for the next few weeks here, folks, so we hope that you join us again. Until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening.